Hey everyone, and welcome to the Church at Denver podcast. It's really good to have you here with us. Church at Denver is a body of believers in the heart of Denver, North Carolina, that desires to see what God can do when his church falls in love with the gospel. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known through Christ-centered teaching, Christ-exalting worship, Christ-saturated community, and Christ-commanded multiplication. Today's podcast episode comes from our Sunday morning worship gathering. Our prayer is that this message strengthens your faith and helps you to live more fully into the way of Jesus. To learn more, get connected, or check out upcoming events, you can visit us at our website at churchatdenver.org, or you can click the link in the episode's description. Thanks again for listening. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Secrets out. You guys know who's got more talent in our family nowadays. Uh, But thank you, baby. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 14. We're going to continue our series through uh, understanding the life of Abraham and how that really applies to our life. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been doing and will continue to do over the next few weeks is continue to be mindful of our mission, our vision, our core values as a church. Uh, I believe that as we move forward as a church and, and wanting to partner with ministries like Heartbeats, wanting to speak for life, wanting to even share our own testimonies uh, in a way to help open up to bring a genuine connection amongst a body of believers here to know that we are a body of truly imperfect people seeking a perfect Savior. And with that, the mission of our church it's very simply that we exist to know Christ. We exist to come to know and understand who Jesus is, what Christ has done for us, and how his, his actions have led to transformation in our life that can restore us back into right relationship with him, to live for him and to honor him. And when we know Christ, we will then desire to go and make him known. And we go and just as we want to bless ministries in our area, we want to go and be a visible representation of God's mercy and grace for other people to see. There are many people walking every day just looking for hope, and they just might find it through you or through me. And we do all of this through Christ-centered teaching. We do it through Christ-exalting worship. We pray for Christ-saturated community. And we desire to see Christ-commanded multiplication as we desire to grow and multiply the kingdom of God. And we believe that through the vision of our church, we want to see what God can do when the church falls in love with the gospel. When we fall in love with what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, I believe that transformation in our lives will lead to a motivated life for Christ. And God will do extraordinary things in and through each of us. And the things that we value as a church as we move through this journey, as we've talked about last week, the kingdom above ourselves, really seeking what God's will is for us individually and corporately as a church in hopes of what he desires in his kingdom, his preferences, his purposes. Those are the things that we chase after, not the selfish desires of our heart or the self-interest that we may seek individually or corporately as a church. But we want to be selfless in seeking the kingdom above ourselves. And second, we want to see and understand the sufficiency of Scripture, as you see up here as well. 
And what that means is we believe that the message of the gospel for salvation, for all those who come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that scripture is sufficient to declare this truth. There's no need for new revelation. There's no need for new understanding. All that you can find for salvation and to get back into right relationship with God is found in the word of God. And we believe this is our authority and we believe that this is what we teach and what we live uh, and for and live by in an effort to help us to continue to go and make Christ known. And we believe that there is no other need other than the word of God. Now, that does not mean that there are not other ways and means of of God providing wisdom as you experience it through doctors and medicine and, and all of these different things where we believe there are many great things that God has given to us. But as it relates to salvation, as it relates to the understanding of who God is and what he has done for us, we believe that scripture is sufficient to teach us all things that pertain to righteousness and holiness and right relationship with God. And we will always and never stray from the fact that scripture is our authority. And so with that, we go into Genesis chapter 14 as we continue our journey of the life of Abraham And the desire and and the passion that we have in understanding Abraham's life is truly wanting to bring motivation to you to understand that your life can be a multiplication of Christ and to build the kingdom of God as we follow what God did in Abraham's life and how we too can be used of God in extraordinary ways to, to help our life be multiplied for others to come to faith in Christ for the kingdom of God to grow as we truly understand how God works And we're going to pick it up in in Genesis 14 near the end in verse 17. But what's happened since the last time that we met and what's happened that we've missed and now we're going to pick it up is the fact that so we know that last week we talked about how Abraham looked out at the land that was promised to him. And he went to Lot understanding that they both could not stay in the same place anymore. And Abram looked to Lot and said, look, you choose where you want to go and I'll go wherever you don't. I trust the Lord for my provision. I would like for you to take first glance and look and you decide where you are feel led to go and I will take what is left trusting God to provide. And Lot choosing to look through the desires of his own heart, looking to the plush land and continuing to creep himself closer and closer over to Sodom. He chooses that area and that land. And Abraham takes what what was given to him and the Lord encountered and met him where he was. But in Lot's journey and going into Sodom and and taking being a part of that land, he finds himself in a very difficult situation because there was all of these kings that came up and began to fight one another. There was this years over a decade, 12 years of, of ruling that was taking place over a king. And they finally decided to revolt. And there were these kings fighting against one another. But the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah would then back away and they fled. But when they fled, they left their land and then their land was end up to be taken over. And in being taken over, Lot was actually taken with them. And when Lot was taken, uh, somebody escaped and went back to tell Abram about what had happened to his nephew. And when Abram heard that his nephew had gotten taken away, uh, Abram went and took 318 trained men, Scripture says. And that word for trained men there is one uniquely used in this situation. I would envision if you go back into the 80s, what I'm thinking and picturing here uh, during this time is if you take Arnold Schwarzenegger from The Predator 
And you take Rambo, you take Sylvester Stallone and pick somebody else that was awesome and amazing in the 80s in these movies. Uh, and then you go and fast forward and you take Jason Bourne or you get some of these other individuals, these trained men that could go in and crush fools with their gifts and their skills, right? And they go in and they take over and y'all have just completely lost. It's, I just see the glaze over your faces. Some of y'all are judging me for watching those movies back in the 80s. <laughs> and others of you are like, what is happening right now? So, but the point is these were some bad dudes, right? These are some individuals that could go in and they, they went. 318 men went and took over multiple kingdoms and brought Lot back and restored Lot back in. And now here's the temptation that Abram's getting ready to encounter and he's getting ready to face. So he just took some very well-gifted and well-trained individuals and he comes to a great victory. He's hitting a very high in his life. But now he's going to have to face the king and the counterfeit, as we're going to call it today. Because oftentimes we come to these seasons in our life that when we get high points in our life, when great successes happen in our life, these are times in our life where choosing God or choosing the world can be very hard and it can be very tempting. And so I think it's very fitting that Abram is going to encounter a a king called Melchizedek, but he's also going to encounter the king of Sodom as well. And Abram's going to be faced with the time to choose who is he going to serve and which direction is he going to go. So let's pick it up in verse 17. It says, after his return from the defeat of Kedalamor, that's We're going to get as close to that as we can. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And so when we see this and we see, uh, Mel- see Abram here meeting Melchizedek and he's meeting the king of Sodom. First, we have to ask ourselves, who is this Melchizedek and where does he come from? Well, Melchizedek is not mentioned in Scripture, but only in a few places. He's mentioned here in the text here in Genesis 14. He's mentioned as a prophecy of the Messiah in Psalms. Then he is mentioned again in the book of Hebrews. But in speaking of, of Melchizedek in Hebrews 7, 3, it says this. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And so we see and read again in Psalm one ten four, where we understand that Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, was to be a priest in the order of King Melchizedek. Because he's given here with no understanding of his genealogy, no understanding of his background. There's no beginning, there's no end. His priesthood was not based upon how he, who, what lineage he was born into. It was a priesthood that was given to him that he represents in coming to Abram in this situation. Even in Hebrews 7, 16, in connecting Melchizedek to Jesus, it says, Jesus was a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. And so here we see that that Abram is coming into this season. He's going to meet King Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And the king of Salem, Salem means peace. So he's not only the king of righteousness, but he's also the king of peace. He's coming in representation of the kingdom of God. And yet he's also going to encounter the king of the world and the king of Sodom. 
But as it continues on in verses 19 and 20, it says this. It speaks of Melchizedek with with Abram. It says, Melchizedek, he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here it talks and speaks of, as Melchizedek says, of God most high. El Elyon, which is is meaning God is above all things, that God is superior. And I think it's very intentional here that Melchizedek is sharing this. Because he is speaking of the, the victory that was given to Abram by God. Because God is supreme and above all things. The only way that Abram was able to accomplish what he accomplished, it was not through the gifts of the men, but it was through God allowing it to be so. It was through God's will that he was able to find victory. And we see Abram responding to Melchizedek in a way, an act of worship. Because he says here in speaking, it says, Abraham responded to Melchizedek by giving him a tenth of everything that he had. Giving him a tenth. This was something that was voluntary. This was not a tradition uh, as of yet. We we have not gotten to the law. We have not gotten to the Levitical priesthood and the system of giving a tithe that will be explained later. This is something that Abraham is doing in response to Melchizedek coming, as you saw, with bread and with wine. Now, at the time, that does not mean what it means to us today that we will partake of today. It was an extravagant gift that was given to Abraham and his men for their victory and for their fight. And it was coming to give, and that symbolism would come later to be the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Abram responded by giving a tenth. And when you go to read in Hebrews chapter 7 again, and speaking of this action that Abram gives in giving a tenth, It says, see how great this man was to whom Abram the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And then in verse 7 it says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And this is very important because you think about how much esteem we give to Abram in the sense of who he was, his stature, his worth, his visibility, his presence. He's Father Abraham and and all that we represent and that we look to. But here Abram is giving a tenth of everything that he had and he's offering that up and giving it over to Melchizedek. Truly surrendering his position and recognizing and showing that he is inferior to the one that he's giving his tithe to. Abram is giving this voluntarily. So you think about for us, when we give of our tithes and our offerings, when we surrender and give over to God, we are declaring that God is superior to us. We are declaring that God's ways are better than our ways. When we are giving over back to the kingdom of God and what he desires for us, it is a surrender and recognition of saying, God, you are the one who's provided it all. And I'm giving back to you as an act of worship for what you have done for me. But the reality is, church, that many people don't give to the kingdom of God. As professing believers in Jesus Christ, we give crumbs, we give leftovers, we give a minimal amount to the kingdom of God and hoping just to give enough to check a box to ease our conscience. But the reality is we're not giving voluntarily and surrendering of what ours is, then proving and sharing that this is God's and God's alone. Our act of worship in our giving is truly recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord and it is all his. 
So when Abram is in this situation, in this season of temptation to say, you know what? I have accomplished all of these things. I took a few men and we beat thousands of men and we are awesome and we are great. But then he encounters this king and he encounters one who gave him victory. And by giving that tithe, what he is saying, he's saying, you know what? All of this I could take credit for, but the reality is God is the one that gave me this victory. Guys, our gifts, our tithes and our offerings are more than just checking a box of due diligence and religious activity. Our giving is truly an act of worship. It is truly a surrender and acknowledging that what we have, we only have because God has provided it to us. There's a surrender that takes place as it relates to worship and as it relates to giving. Now listen to the difference between King Melchizedek and how, and how Abram gave a tithe to him And how the king of Sodom approaches Abram. It says in verse 21, it says, And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. The audacity of this man who fled his people, allowed them to be taken over, others being taken and put, brought into slavery. But he still goes to Abram after Abram went and bailed him out and released Lot and others. And he has the audacity to go back to Abram and say, hey man, I want to bargain with you. I want to make a trade. I want you to give me the people, but hey, you can take all the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, he said, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, which is an act of worship, an act of of oath to God. And he says, and I've done this to God, to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. And that word that is used for take there, when it says, I would not take, it's actually in, in rec- meaning to accept. And saying that what he is accepting from the king of Sodom, he in no way wants to confuse the, what God has provided for him by taking anything from the king of Sodom. Or coming to any negotiation with this king to where anything would be represented that he was not fully provided for by God. And so he rejects the request of the king of Sodom. And he says, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. What I love about Abram in this situation is is he's acknowledging what's already been given to these men. But he's also not standing in the way what others have have earned and desire to have. Guys, there's sometimes in our life where God's going to call each of us individually to do something. But that doesn't mean that your calling is going to be the same as everybody else's. That your passion and what God's inspired of you does not mean that translates over into everybody else. And you know what I'm talking about because there are those of us sometimes in our life where we get convicted over things. And we think the things that we're convicted about, everybody else is supposed to be convicted about that at the very same time. Correct? You've been there? That's not always true. God calls us and puts certain convictions upon our heart. And your conviction and your passion may not be the same as mine. But together with my passions and your passions going to accomplish the kingdom of God, we spread our power of what God can do through the power of his spirit to be able to impact the world around us. But we oftentimes are tempted to do what is do what Abraham did not do, which was to say, you know what? If I can't have it, they can't have it either. But he didn't, provide, he didn't act that way. 
He said, I am choosing not to do this because I am trusting in the Lord and God's provision. These individuals have their own path and their own journey. But I am here to represent God and his provision in my life and giving me the victory of this effort. And and I am not going to impose that upon others. And I think that we as believers in Jesus Christ must operate in the same manner. God called me into full-time vocational ministry. But that doesn't mean he calls all of you to the same God may give you a passion to go take the gospel in your workplace or to go overseas to do mission work or be a good business person and do consulting and spread the gospel that way. We each have our own calling and our own passion and we celebrate one another and what we are doing and how we are being led of the Lord, just as Abram gives us a visible presence of. But what I want to talk mostly about today is is what I would call the king and the counterfeit. Because you have Abram being represented by King Melchizedek and by the king of Sodom. And you have two different approaches taken by these two kings. And I believe for them, one of them represents themselves as the true king and one of them represents themselves as a counterfeit. And when you think about the counterfeit and what a counterfeit is, it is a duplicate. It is a replica of an original, but it is not the original thing. And what's hard about the counterfeit is sometimes it's very difficult to spot. But you can do research and you can think about how do you spot counterfeit bills or how do you spot a counterfeit baseball card or football card or all these different things that are out there. And the greatest way to understand how to spot the counterfeit is to know the original. Hey church, Pastor Vince here. I just wanted us to take a short break from this podcast to remind you about something. In this fast-paced world, it's really easy to feel isolated and disconnected. But being a part of a church community can truly make a difference in your life. When you're connected at church, you become a part of a loving family. It's a place where you can find genuine friendships, encouragement, and support that helps you during life's ups and downs. Together, we celebrate victories and we provide a shoulder to lean on when challenges arise. Being plugged into a church community fuels your spiritual growth. Through our worship gatherings, Bible studies, and other events during the week, you have the opportunity to learn, question, and explore the depths of God's Word with others. Our shared experiences and wisdom, they enhance our understanding of God's love and purpose for our lives. Staying connected at church also provides a network of accountability. Surrounding yourself with other believers who genuinely care about your well-being helps you stay on track with your faith and values. They'll be there to guide you, offer wise counsel, and keep you grounded in your relationship with God. But it's not just about receiving, it's about giving too. When you're connected, you have the opportunity to make a positive impact on others' lives through acts of service, volunteering, and sharing your unique gifts. Spreading love, compassion, and the hope of the gospel to our community and beyond. I would strongly encourage you to visit us at our website at churchatdenver.org and check out the What's Happening page to see how you can get connected this week. You can also use the Church Center app at any time. We keep our What's Happening page updated in real time so you can always stay connected. Remember, we are stronger together And together, we will make a lasting impact for the kingdom of God. We're so excited to have you a part of our church family. All right, let's get back to the podcast. 
That is the greatest way that we can spot and understand the counterfeit. Because I believe that the world today, in, in many places today, we are teaching and hearing about counterfeit gospels. But in order to understand the true gospel and the true meaning of the gospel is to get to understand the original. And in order to understand the original, we have to dive in to understand, to be able to spot who he is and what he's done. So when you think about the king and the counterfeit, one of the things that that I want us to remember is when we think about our relationship to Jesus Christ as opposed to the relationship with the things of this world, one's going to bring blessing, but another's going to come with offers of compromise. And when you think about Melchizedek and what Melchizedek did, Melchizedek brought bread and wine. He not only came with a lavish gift for Abram and his people, but he also came and he brought a blessing on behalf of the Lord. He didn't ask anything of Abram. He wanted to come and bless him and and to be able to provide for him and to give to him, but also to expose and help him to understand who his provider and who his trust should be put into. But there was never an offer of compromise, unlike the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom came to him and immediately offered to him a compromise position where he says, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself, the king of Sodom asked him. Immediately, the king of Sodom is giving him and challenging him to compromise. And here's what's unique about the compromise that he asked. He said, the king of Sodom said, give me the people. You can have all the material things. And think about how the enemy uses us. He calls us to pursue the material things of this world at the neglect of people in our life, right? You think about maybe if, if your passion and your pursuit is, to, is to, to gain wealth, status, and material blessings, and sometimes we do that at the expense of our family. We do that at the expense of our children. We do it at the expense of our loved ones. We continue to chase material things and we compromise the desire to seek the kingdom of God or to be a blessing to other people because we're so worried about fattening our pockets. When you think about the compromises that we make, the world wants us to come and wants us to compromise. But God is not in the business of compromise. God wants no part of it. If you think about the message of the gospel, there is no message of compromise. Because when you think about compromise and what it is, what that is doing is two mutual parties coming together and coming to an agreement. And oftentimes you're coming to an agreement of something of lesser value. And that is not the gospel. First and foremost, we don't go to God and negotiate with God on our salvation. We go to God and we surrender our life to God for the work that he has accomplished for us. God has set the standard, and his standard was perfection, the standard that we could not meet upon our own. But yet through Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect sinless life, went to the cross, died in our place, taking upon our sin, defeating sin and death, buried for three days, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, so that when we put our faith and trust in Christ by repenting of our sin, we can have salvation by faith. There is no compromise. There is just total surrender to the message of the gospel and surrendering to Jesus Christ. But the world gives you compromise. It promises you different worldly things. It says, you know what, if you do this, if you give me that, I'm going to surrender this to you. 
And we take what the world teaches us about compromise and we try to apply it to our life. God, if I don't cuss today, will you bless me today? Or God, if I start reading my Bible, will you take care of this awful situation that I'm in? We begin to contractually want to compromise with God and thinking if we start doing things, then he'll start doing things. But the reality is God's already done the greatest thing and that's all we need. The greatest blessing comes from the Lord and he gave us the greatest gift of all, which is salvation. But the world continues to give compromise. And the reality is the compromise that is of greatest worth and value to us is others. But we so easily give up on them for the sake of materialism in this world. And the other thing that, that when we think about the king and the counterfeit is this notion and understanding that one has proven himself worthy and another is questioning yours. Because when you think about the message of the gospel, when you think about King Melchizedek coming and providing bread and wine, coming to bless Abram, sharing with him, talking about how God Almighty has blessed him and delivered him from his enemies and the work that he has done on behalf of Abram to fulfill the promise that only he could fulfill that he gave to Abram. He came doing all of these grand and wonderful things, proving himself to be worthy. And then you have the king of Sodom, the king who fled, who gave up on his people, that led to destruction, that led to people going away. And he has the audacity to come back and say, Abram, let's, let's come together. Let's compromise together. But if you don't, and if you do, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that the only reason why you are who you are is because you took something from me. He's diminishing the value of Abram and trying to do so by taking credit for what Abram did. And the reality is when we think about our own life and how we live our life, when we look to the king and we see the counterfeit that the world offers to us, it's understanding that the king that we serve has proven himself worthy. And then anything else pales in comparison. And most things continue to cause us to question our very own salvation to question our very own worth and who we are. And the reason that is, is because what we are tempted to do in our life is to not identify ourselves based upon the life of Jesus Christ, not to identify ourselves based upon who God declares us to be. We begin to identify ourselves with the things of this world. We find value and worth based upon the dollar in our bank account. We find value and worth based upon our looks or based upon what people think of us, based upon our job title, based upon how many kids we have, based upon what neighborhood we live in. All of these things that we want to find value in who we are or even lack thereof. But the reality is for us that we have been proven worthy because Christ has declared us to be so because he has given us his righteousness to bear and to hold on to. But for us understanding, we find ourselves questioning our value and our worth because we are looking to the counterfeit to find identity. And that is not what we are called to do. We are to look to the king and that is King Jesus. And King Jesus, as we look to Philippians chapter 2, when you think of our great king, Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So for us, when we think about our life, when we think about are we worshiping the king or are we chasing a counterfeit? What I want us to understand is that there are many times in our life where we are chasing after a counterfeit king and a counterfeit gospel. 
And the way that you identify that, the way that you understand that is in your life when you think about it, and when you begin to find yourself making compromises in your life, when you begin to try to negotiate with the world around you, or even trying to negotiate with God, you do not understand or grabbing a hold of what the meaning of the gospel really is. If you are living a life continuing to question your worth and your value and who you are and what you can accomplish in this life, you are looking to a counterfeit gospel to try to find identity because your identity should be secure. It should be known because it has been declared in the word of God. So I challenge you today to worship the king. Quit giving yourselves over to these counterfeit messages of hope, of life, and of of fulfillment All of these things that will pass away, that will lead to destruction, just as the king of Sodom did for the people. But the king Jesus, the one whose name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and repenting of your sin and turning to God for salvation, your identity is perfection in Jesus Christ. Do not believe the lie of the enemy. You do not need to compromise who you are and who you've been declared to be to find worth and value in this life because it has been made known. If we want to see the gospel be advanced and the kingdom of God to grow, it takes a confident group of believers understanding what Christ has done for them. And I want to challenge us, church, to quit chasing those counterfeit kings and chase the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you just for the blessing and the opportunity that we have to worship you. God, I know that in my own life, there have been many times where I've chased a counterfeit, where I've believed the lie that maybe if, if this happened, that God, you would bless me and that, that things would get better. God, if you, you fixed my finances, maybe... maybe things would be better and people would be more proud of me and they would appreciate me and value me. Or or maybe, God, there is some sin in our life that we continue to get ensnared into and we're scared to let go of. And then the shame and the guilt comes in. We question our worth. But the power that truly breaks that chain is knowing that who you've called us to be, that that sin that we hold on to is, we're holding on to it because we think it identifies who we are, but the reality is understanding who we are in Christ is the power that frees us from that sin. And all of that's accomplished through our Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated sin and death for us, who set a standard of perfection gave it to us. And Father God, I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to see our true King. Help us to abandon these counterfeits that are leaving us empty, leaving us questioning our value and our worth, and continuing to cause us to compromise and settle for less. You have given us the greatest thing of all. May we celebrate that today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has inspired you to live into the way of Jesus. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a review. Your feedback helps us to reach more listeners and share the message of the gospel with more people. You can click the link in the episode's description to visit us on our website at churchatdenver.org, where you'll find additional resources, event updates, and ways to get involved in our community. Thanks again for being a part of our church family. We love you all, and we are praying for you. Have a great week.